Oh, that's great. So are you wearing headphones? Yes. Wonderful. And you've started your recording? <laughs> yes. Why do you say Maybe headphones a little too like soon. that? Uh, You're like, headphones? Are you wearing headphones? <laughs> headphones? Did I? <laughs> Jeremy, are you going to micromanage Peter? Yes, again? he gave me a he gave me the look when I we talked said that about too. This. I, I could feel it. Oh right, about, you're together. I I'm about, about two this. micromanages from walking off here. Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records that are waiting to be rediscovered. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, custodian of Cosmic Blessings, and before we start, I want to remind everyone that we are here. Dearest children of the collective consciousness that you call Earth, you are arriving now at a peak moment of harmonic podcasting. You ask us, what is harmonic podcasting? We offer you the energy of that which you are seeking. Simply breathe and remember, you are the tone that you seek to be, and you are at the time when all tones are arising as a precious chorus of oneness. <laughs> that was it. Peace to all beings. That was amazing. Inspirational. <laughs> Whew. Thank you. Well, I'm co-host Jeremy, and I... I was actually busy while Sean was talking there, because my claim to fame is the world's most prolific voice actor specializing in subliminal affirmations. Oh, that's you? You're the one I've been listening to? Yeah, and I was dropping some. I was dropping some while you were talking there. Whoa. How do you guys all feel now? Feeling it. Do you guys <laughs> do you want to give the people like a quick audible example of your talents, though? A rare treat, exclusive, if you will. Yeah, you ready? <laughs> All right. Here we go. How do you guys feel now? Whoa. Yeah, really Quite relaxed. Hungry. <laughs> so much better. <laughs> I'm hungry. Hungry. Peter's the only one that caught on because it was to make you guys hungry. Oh, shit. We missed out. It's because I can see you. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've been getting a lot of complaints from the fans, though, that during our recent Godly and Cream episode, they were feeling, like, extra bad. Did you uh, do some, the opposite of positive affirmations oh, on that episode? I've been meaning to yes, ask you. Yes, I did. Shit. They're not called positive affirmations. So. <laughs> negative. negative affirmations. Wow, so much already, and we haven't even gotten to me yet. That's true. <laughs> Sorry. You're still here, Peter. Cool. I'm I'm still here. I am here, and I am co-host Peter Cook, and I'm excited because I'm putting together a little production company to release the final film, or at least it's more of a lost film from the recently deceased underground experimental filmmaker Kenneth Anger. It was made in the early to mid-90s, and it follows a young Alanis Morissette as she goes from child television star on the series You Can't Do That on Television to, of course, mega pop rock star with the release of 
jagged little pill. So naturally, the film is called Alanis Rising. (laughs) (laughs) You always do so much build up. I love it. (laughs) I mean, if the joke's not good, just put twice as much build up and then you're set. I love it. It's a winning formula every time. (laughs) Saying Peter's jokes aren't good? No, I'm saying they oh, really? are good, and the he, you take a joke that by itself is not that funny, which is nothing against Peter. I'm I'm admiring the craft here. Let it be known, <laughs> I am pro Peter intros on this show. I I feel like a true artist with how much my work is being analyzed right here before me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out the artist's original intention here, <laughs> reading into it. Oh, excellent! And joining us today. On the program is a healing artist who works in the medium of sound, movement, and storytelling. Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, Bethany Carter. Hello, hello. I am Bethany Carter, an energetic being embodied as an earthling, sent to integrate the duality of this binary marketing show by following the path of the weirding way. Thanks for having me. Amazing. Welcome to the show. Thank you. First time. First time. Yes. First time guest, long time friend. Long time friend and fan. With the I'd buy that for a dollar. That's true. <laughs> Bethany, we've known her for a long time. Played shows together over the years in with the band The Binary Marketing Show that was mentioned in your intro. That's your band. Yes. People who don't know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. And yeah, we're excited to have you on the podcast. What record did you bring for us today? Today I have Emerging with Kay Gardner. It is their second release. Uh, Kay is a composer, conductor, and flutist. And this was distributed by Wise Women Enterprises in 1978. And... Did we decide to tune in before or after? <laughs> yeah, we're going we're gonna to tune in now. Now's the time. All right. So we're going to do a little tune in. This is called low toning to ground the energy in our bodies and to calm any nerves. And you can join with us in the audience. And we will start by just making a saw sound until we get to our lowest note and when we find our lowest note we will all just hold that together and then we will be tuned in our body as the instrument a resonant chamber so this is just grounding our energy in our bodies and i will start off by saying sa sa and you can join me here sa everyone feeling <laughs> so, so pretty good actually maybe we should do that every episode now guys what do you so, think so, so. <laughs> amazing that was great great job oh and peter you should put that on the notes as an option for every guest do you want to <laughs> do yeah. some low toning with us before <laughs> your episode with us <laughs> I- 
Noted. <laughs> All right, cool. Except you shouldn't ask if they want a low tone. You should ask, do they want a low tone before we start or during the episode? <laughs> <laughs> like they don't get an option. Exactly. Just... <laughs> Where would you like to place your low toning in this sequence of events? Yeah, you might have uh, added something to our repertoire here. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I love it. That makes me very happy. All right, well, now that we're all tuned up, let's hear this first song. What's the opening track, Bethany? The opening track is The Cauldron of Caradwen. We're talking side A, track one. track first kicked in this is my first time hearing k gardener i was not familiar before and within like 10 seconds i was so ready to just nope out i was like <laughs> i'm a noted hater of anything i like to call ren fair music <laughs> yes and and it sounded like that's where it was going at first. And I was like, oh, no. Absolutely. It definitely does. It definitely does. <laughs> but it it was like not much later. And it start, It opens up. It gets real weird. It gets real spacey. The like harmonic things going on get really strange pretty quick. Yes. And the album just kind of keeps opening up from there. Mm-hmm. So it does a a good job of like landing you initially in like familiar territory and you're like, Oh, I think I know what is happening here. And, and then it takes you other places. Yeah. Yeah. It gets uh, pretty out there and strange at times. And, and uh, yet it's also very 
pretty and grounded. <laughs> it's yeah, it's mostly very natural sounding. I'd yeah. say yeah. yeah, very organic. I agree. Yeah, one of the things that's really interesting about this record is that even though there's a variety of genres that are being referenced throughout, one of the things that Kay does so well is let you kind of fall into an almost meditative state listening to a section of the song. You get kind of lost in it, and then it shifts, and it just snaps you back into reality for a little bit. And the whole record is just kind of a wild ride in that regard. It's really interesting to listen to front to back. Yeah, it's a compelling listen. Yeah. Yeah, with all that in mind, when I first heard this, I was in the nope realm too. (laughs) (laughs) I I went to a friend's place and was just putting it on uh, the record player and we were having coffee and I was like, okay, well, I don't know what I'm going to (laughs) say about this. But then the vocal part came in and I was like, oh, okay, I get it. I can do this. I can do this. (laughs) But, and that is, so when Kay Gardner talks about making this album, she talked about this being kind of an homage to all the different styles of music she had learned to date or she had steeped herself in. And it feels that way. I I will say a little bit about Caridwen is an underworld goddess and the keeper of the cauldron of knowledge, which the cauldron of knowledge is turned into in later mythos, the Holy Grail. So the vibe that you're getting that like Ren Fair kind of sound is very much in honor to that like Celtic mythos, the of the underworld goddess, the shape-shifting goddess. So, and it's able to take on many forms. And I think starting the album with that and then going through all these different shifts and changes throughout the album. It's a really interesting journey in Kay Gardner's, well, just her repertoire, her skill set, mm-hmm. but also her just like, she's an incredibly skilled flautist, flutist, however as you say, flutist. <laughs> In American English, flautist, I guess, in British English. But, and just this is the first time she approaches improvisation. And I really enjoy that in the songs we're going to be introducing throughout. Yeah, I wasn't familiar with this either, but I was immediately on board opening bars of that song, but I knew it wasn't going to stay there. I knew, I just had a feeling based on what little Sean had said about it and when it came out, I'm like, this is just, we're starting, you know, way back. This is the beginning of the journey. The yeah, <laughs> yeah starting in ancient times here. And yeah, and it is like, it does feel like you start there and then you're moved quickly to the present day 1978 times. <laughs> but even now, I feel like that vocal delay and those elements could be something I would use in my music now. So I think it's really cool. So this is a record that I've had in my collection for a little while that I don't remember where I bought it from. In fact, I had purchased this and had it for sale on my Discogs. And then I've been on the lookout for more new age adjacent records in recent years. And at one point kind of went back through anything that was new age related that I had for sale to see if I want to keep it. And this was one I 
put on our list of potential episodes. So Bethany and I have been talking for a while about what record to do. We wanted to do something kind of new age, talked about a few different options. And the more both of us listened to this record, the more it was just resonating. It's yeah. great. Yes, definitely. And, you know, going back to the first impressions of it, putting it on, I wasn't I wasn't turned off initially from that because I've heard a lot of new age stuff that has a strong classical influence to it. So I was kind of ready for that. In fact, the first artist it reminded me of while listening to her was Paul Winter, who we have previously featured. He had a strong classical and jazz influence to the the new age, the early new age explorations he was doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like all of the all of the new age related stuff that we've covered has been drastically different <laughs> from one another up yeah. to this point. Yeah, it's it's one of those genres that's more of an aesthetic than an actual sound. So you can have music coming from entirely different places that all will you know share the same stage theoretically. Yeah, it seems like a catch-all for any kind of spiritual music or music for healing art spaces like this is what you'll hear when you're getting a massage or (laughs) things like like new age is the catch-all for yeah exactly it it can mean a whole lot of different things and a whole lot of different intentions behind it we'll get into more of what Kay was about with the music she was making. But the other thing is I I don't think Kay would have really ever defined herself as a new age musician. Like some other people kind of took to that. She really operated more in what is known as the women's music world, which we have talked about a couple of times now on the show. Yes. Yeah. We highlighted Olivia records on our Chris Williamson episode. Yes. Kay and Chris Williamson worked together a few times. So yeah, that makes sense. Yep. In fact, Kay was a member of what is now known as the first openly lesbian band and kind of the band that really kicked off the women's music movement. That was a band called Lavender Jane, whose 1973 album, Lavender Jane Loves Women, like I said, is considered to be the first openly lesbian album made entirely by women. Yeah, that predates the Chris Williamson one by a couple of years. Yep. So some real foundational work here, but so that, you know, Lavender Jane is, was more the kind of folk music style that you would expect, or that is more commonly associated with women's music. And Kay was always one that was advocating for more classical and avant-garde representation within women's music. So that's how you get the kind of uh, new age tag that can be applied to a lot of things. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're hearing that on this record. She's not shying away from it. The the uh, the avant garde leanings. That is. Yeah, this is not a record that was made with any kind of commercial intent. <laughs> she wasn't making this music to become a superstar or make a lot of money. This was this was the art that she felt needed to be made. Yeah, that's why I feel. I when I started listening to this and I got her book about healing medicine, music as medicine, and was really resonating with that as music as some sort of connection to community and ceremonial spaces and being able to use it as a healing art form and creating safe spaces for women to explore classical music as well, avant-garde music. 
So I know this is a, a bit of a loaded question here, but do you want to try and briefly explain to people what the healing arts are? So you have that, that strong connection <laughs> yes. with Kay yourself? Yes. Well, for me, I'll, I'll just take it from my experience of what that means of growing up in an evangelical church scene. And I sang in choir and I did dance and it was very much about ceremony and spirit and connecting with community. And then I went on to play in the secular world, <laughs> which I don't really <laughs> like believe in these like sort of separate ideas, but the the, the motivation was a lot around uh, making it big or being famous or it, it didn't really resonate. So finding Kay's work was really inspiring to me as someone who calls himself a healing artist. And healing art, I think, is just practicing an art form that has a direct effect on the body. So using what Kay uses often is the voice. And she also uses the flute and and drone sounds and different instrumentation as well. Uh, but healing art, and and this, I think, ties it to New Age a little, like, New Age could be talked about by way of the instrumentation, like having drone sounds playing or just like the the rhythm or the repetition, the harmonics, the the color or the composer's intent, that all kind of falls in the New Age as well as the healing arts approach to, to making music. It's like a meditation. It's like using music as a meditation. You're, if you're feeling angry and you make some certain sounds, it's the idea around that would be that you're using sound as resonance to break up those sort of emotional blocks, if you will, in your body. And it's something that I practice daily is like, like what we did in the beginning, like toning or using sound and movement and those sorts of practices to ground ourselves in our bodies. Like if you're dealing with anxiety or things like that, it's like getting out of your head, like these ways we talk about different parts of our bodies, but like being too intellectual or overanalyzing something or being caught in cycles of worry or whatever brings you anxiety and getting back into your body by just making a sound and and that being something that anyone that can make a sound or or some sort of resonance can do. So it's putting the healing into your own hands. Cool. It's not something outside of you. And that's kind yeah. of how it's see healing arts is like using your body or your voice or something in that is you <laughs> to bring yourself back into some sense of belonging and connectedness to the environment that you're in. Right on. How's that? How'd that yeah. go? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah. A little long for an elevator pitch, but we'll take it. <laughs> yeah. so it's like the elevator got stuck. And then yeah. We yeah. Oh, I got a couple right. more minutes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, another thing that new age music is often associated with is con artists and snake oil Absolutely. salesmen. Absolutely. There's, there's always been a lot of that. So a lot of people, when they hear healing music, might think of someone being like, oh, listen to this song and it'll cure cancer and you don't have to go to the doctor. And that That's not necessarily the angle that Kay was going for. It was more like, 
if people are relaxed and stress-free, they're going to be healthier. Yeah. Yeah. You know. <laughs> and it's not that health challenges don't come. I mean, she... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> just about, you know, it's not, it's not that. Healthy people get sick, too. It's just that... Yeah. But that is definitely a good note is it can be about multi-level marketing schemes and yeah. <laughs> trying to sell you into things. And, and that's what I like about how she is such a proponent of using the voice or, or some sort of resonance, something simple. It, it's not something they're trying to sell you. It's something you already have within you. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, let's listen to another song. What's the yes. next one? So the next song is Anagram. And that is going to have the internationally acclaimed pianist Althea Waits, who's a soloist and chamber musician and collaborative artist on this album with Kay Gardner. All right. We're looking at side A, track four. Yes. are running for the hills <laughs> <laughs> i'm like oh that's one of my favorite <laughs> that's awesome yeah not only is that 
much more experimental than you would normally ever hear on a new age adjacent record but that's got to be one of the more out songs we've ever even featured on the podcast really oh wow yeah that's up that's up there with free form guitar by chicago transit authority (laughs) yeah or the the sunny chirac solos on herbie man records (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. i love finding those bits of dollar bin free jazz you don't see that stuff much in the bargain bin but it's out there just got to keep looking yeah, I keep trying it out. Yeah. Yeah, especially with new age music and women's music, there's generally not a lot of really tense, strange out music happening. So yeah. again, Kay was just, she was on the front lines of this stuff and Kay was also pushing the boundaries at the same time. It's really kind of incredible. Yeah, this is like Patty Waters ESP disc kind of stuff. <laughs> oh yeah, it goes like, there. Oh, I love that. For sure. Yeah. Yes. Well, Kay talked about this being a discipline in exercising those aspects of her habitual tendencies in sound. So trying to release anything she had done previously and just really experiment with improvisation and the people she brought in to this album really. It's just beautiful and strange and I feel like in this song, especially speaking of healing arts and sound, it's like creating safe spaces through music to express intense feelings that you may be having in these times of fun things like the patriarchy (laughs) and things (laughs) like that, about how you have the space that you can be intense and strong and just share that power that you have within you through the sound i I mean everyone experiences that full range of emotions so you got to express it too yeah and it it is really unique and i when i heard that i was like yes i'm in (laughs) (laughs) i'm feeling it yes it was really beautiful so you mentioned that the the more improvisational elements of this record was kind of her stretching out of her comfort zone. Let's talk a little bit about where Kay came from musically in her upbringing. So she was born in Freeport, New York on February 8th, 1941. She wrote and performed her first piano composition at the age of four <laughs> and then began studying flute at age eight. Mm-hmm. Getting a nice solid head start there with the music. Yeah, you know, <laughs> every four years, take on something big. But from what I could tell, the majority of her early interest and training was pretty much in classical and like classical adjacent music. She primarily worked in chamber music, orchestral, and vocal arrangements. Yeah, that's what I found too. Yeah, so you can definitely hear all of that influence on here. But again, she's pushing forward throwing in some other elements, challenging the listener and herself at the same time. Love it. Yeah, she she was really influenced by, there's three people she talks about, but one that I knew already, (laughs) which was Pauline Oliveros, who I don't know if you've heard like Sound Patterns or that's a song that I love a lot. But that was one of her big influences. And then the other people like Althea Waits and even I think Martha Siegel and there's a lot of people on this, but really inspired her to 
get out of her comfort zone. And I think they would have kind of segments that were were not improvised. So they had some sense of groundedness. <laughs> it wasn't <Yeah>. so <laughs> crazy. But yeah. And I think the cauldron of Caridwin was not improvised, but everything from there looks like an improvisation. The other thing with that is from anybody who I've known that has studied classical music, improvisation is often very hard for those people. You're so trained to read sheet music and you know perfectly recreate the song that oftentimes people are just like they can't switch their mind into that full-on improv setting so yes what a well-rounded musician well, let alone stuff that's veering into free improvisation yes <laughs> i also saw in an interview that another big early influence for her was the pianist eric satie yes yeah whose furniture music series was kind of foundational for a lot of easy listening exotica and then later new age styles of music it was creating music to not make you think you know like environment mood music it was like one of the first times that someone was experimenting with those ideas but coming from a more classical piano world so it's like she had some of the same foundational influences as other new age musicians but was just coming from like strictly the classical side of it yeah interesting so as we mentioned by the early 70s, she was also working in folk music and getting much stronger into political activism and was then in the band Lavender Jane in the early 70s. And then after Lavender Jane, it seems that she became much more interested in the spiritual side of music. She was initiated into Dionic Wicca in 1975. And it seems like this was also around the time when she started getting really more focused in the sound healing side of music and then her first solo album was called moon circles and that came out in 1975 and then the album we're listening to today is emerging which was her second album in 78 did you get any information on what the distribution of this music was sean like how where this was being sold or how it was being marketed I, I don't have like a direct answer to that other than in general, the women's music scene was incredibly DIY as we've yeah. talked about before. These were pretty much like all women owned labels that were just starting up and figuring it out. Some of the interviews I read with Kay talked about the problems of trying to forge her own path in the music industry. And sometimes that meant literally just days of calling numbers of labels and people in the industry trying to get her questions answered of like how do i license my music for a film and things like that like it was all just figured out on your own so the labels putting out a lot of this music including the one that put this out uh is it urana records i believe yeah is urana the pronouncing yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> so I, I don't know how many units were pressed or uh, any of that but i imagine it was is definitely more on the diy private press low run spectrum mm -hmm. yeah that's what i would guess i mean we you know on the chris williamson episode we talked about how at one point that was the best independent album like the best selling independent album of all time at one point right yeah it was a tight-knit scene it was very supportive very strong and it, it grew as a you know, across the nation connection of scenes and festivals and labels and bands and everything. They're very supportive. Yeah. Tight knit. 
All right, so her third album came out in 1980, and that was called Moods and Rituals, Meditations for Solo Flute. And as you can guess, it was some solo flute music. Really good stuff. <laughs> yes. And then in 1984, she released what many people consider her magnum opus, an album called A Rainbow Path, which was a piece that she had been composing starting in 1976 and was kind of intended as a sort of introductory and generalized look at how music may be used in healing. Because Kay, as we've said, is was like one of the first people to really explore music as a healing art. She talked about just trying desperately to get colleges and hospitals on board with these ideas and sending letters to people being like, I have so much knowledge on this field that so many people don't even seem to know anything about. And like, I can help people <laughs> like yeah. just let me in there. And it, it's a much more accepted concept nowadays, thanks to the pioneering work of people like Kay. Yeah. And she would play in nursing homes. And I don't know if you came across the story of her, she would play her flute down the hallways, a lot of jazz and uh, music in that realm and some people that would be catatonic otherwise when they would start to hear the sounds of the music would lift their arms in the air and just come alive in those moments and when the music would stop they would be back into that kind of catatonic state and they just talked about how important it is to bring music into spaces for healing like hospitals mm -hmm. and nursing homes and and in educational facilities like medical schools and she did so much work to bring the wisdom of sound and the healing effects of sound on the body into those like medical school realms of universities like Yale and as one of the more prominent schools that I saw in the research. But it's pretty powerful that uh, now we see things in sound healing, like people, patients with Alzheimer's and things like that. There's a lot of research around that now of just helping people connect to something deep within them that music can draw out that helps ease the pain of living, aging, all those things of being in a human body. Mm -hmm. It reminds me a little bit of that uh, documentary from the mid to late 2000s called Young at Heart. Yes. Did any of you ever see that with the senior citizens who are like this choir group that go around, they perform more modern type music. They do a sonic youth song that, <laughs> yes. at the encouragement of the director and uh, that, that's a really, uh, I haven't seen that in years now, probably 15 years, but really inspiring documentary. Absolutely. That is, that's the work I was talking about too. So thank you, Peter. Perfect. <laughs> awesome. I also saw reports from Kay that people who were exposed to healing music in the hospital, like started using dramatically less painkillers and mm. just feeling at ease a lot more. And, you know, it, it helped in a lot of ways. Yeah. It's incredible. Uh, something you can do with it, either in your own body or having someone do it for you if you're unable to speak or sound. Her partner, Kay's partner, had MS and would have all the troubles that come with that from mobility and 
they would just sound, as we call it, <laughs> make sounds around you. And kind of like the tuning we were doing towards their body and, and it helped them with pain and increased their mobility. It's just these simple, subtle things that perhaps are not as uh, profitable as pharmaceuticals are for <laughs> an industry-driven healthcare. But yeah, there is yeah. that. But it, it's just really beautiful what she was able to bring to the world by way of music. I, I think it's a gift to the world. And, and I get the impression that she was incredibly busy through the 70s into the yes. early 80s <laughs> on top of pioneering these fields and composing music and teaching and touring and doing speaking engagements. She was still a pivotal figure in the women's music movement. She was playing on other people's records, producing music for other artists on labels like Urana, Lady Slipper, Open Door, Pleiades, and several others. Just doing a ton of work out there for sure. Yeah. And she started her own uh, record label, Even Kill Records, yes. where, and she produced 17 albums in that realm of her work and other people's work. It's just inspiring. <laughs> well, let's get into another inspiring song then. What's next up? All right. So next up, this is one of my, I, I like all of this, but Atlantis Rising, it's track four, side two. Uh, is one of my favorites. Ah, uh, yes, this was the uh, ins inspiration for the title of the Kenneth Anger film. Yes, <laughs> that, that I'm. <laughs> I loved it. To get out there. It's gonna great. Alanis Rising. <laughs> Thank you. 
This record has so many elements that I love and look for when I'm buying a new age type record. It's got the classical sounds. It's got the avant-garde sounds. It's got the meditation music vibe. And it's even got some kind of field recording type sounds on there. I don't know if that was a microphone underwater or what's going on there, but it reminds you a little bit of like the environments records we've talked about before. Just bringing it all together. Yeah. I love this album. It just keeps getting better every time I play it. I, I You know what I said earlier about how uh, all of our new age adjacent records haven't really had anything in common with each other. I think they're all coming together. There's a bit of that Paul Horn thing going on here. There's, it's true. You know, like it's all coming together. <laughs> it all comes back to Kay. This is the yeah, artist we've been waiting to talk about. <laughs> the great harmonizer. Yes. <laughs> yep. True. Truly. So we talked before about how Kay didn't have a lot of commercial focus in her music. She, in fact, believed that too much of a commercial focus was kind of like a, a runoff of the normal music industry or the more male-led music industry. And she felt that women's music should intentionally be less commercial and was constantly pushing for, like, why are women starting bands to just sound like the men you know we should be starting our own we should use our own scales we should have our own language our own music and our own festivals like we don't need them yes well speaking to that this is something from an interview with Kay, and she's talking about before the advent of the patriarchy and the patriarchal dichotomization the music was a vehicle for attaining ecstasy and before it's being split into the sacred and the profane, or like I said earlier, the evangelical and the secular, <laughs> it was something that we would use not to have this nostalgic flight away from the pain of reality, but rather to journey into the awareness of the strength and wholeness within us. And that being something that can give us the impetus to regain our lost wholeness in the present moment, allowing for the reshaping of the future and transcending the image of woman imposed on us by the patriarchy as an object or woman as an other. Being able to transcend this is the key to our liberation and transcending ancient opposites through the reconciliation of healing the body and the mind within ourselves. And I'd say that she sums up her work quite well there. <laughs> Just <laughs> the way that she sees music and her, the mode she uses, Mixolydian, uh, invented by Sappho, the Greek poetess and lover of women, is something that she uses a lot in her music. Uh, so it's meant to arouse passion and she decided on the instrumentation for her first album, Moon Circles, by studying Egyptian wall paintings and Greek urns depicting women playing flutes or pluck stringed instruments and small percussion, such as tambourines, hand drums, and finger cymbals. And that's how she came up with what she would use in her first album, Moon Circles. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I had read that she was a big historian when it came to music and part of the thing that she was really making her mission was going back through music history and mythology and finding art that was 
you know, more directly associated with women in trying to bring that back and create this whole musical language. And then finding, like you said, the, uh, the scales that were more commonly associated with female led music and instruments that were more commonly associated. And she was pushing for more of that representation at like women's music festivals and things of that nature. Yeah. And she also talked about how the, you know, Western music scales are very limiting, especially in comparison with like Indian classical music and things like that. And wanted to have more microtonal exploration within Western music and, was always advocating for more of a multicultural influence and uh, representation at women's music festivals. She said she wanted to hear, you know, women from every nation contributing to this kind of music and not just, you know, the, the same basic influences that were going on. She often talked about how the women's music movement and, you know, adjacent scenes were too often overrun by you know white upper class women and didn't have very good representation yes not a lot of intersectionality going on there yes (laughs) yeah i wanted to ask sean or bethany since you did the most research on Kay, i was looking a little bit into her bandmate in lavender jane alex dobkin and it would seem that Alex received quite a bit of criticism for when advocating for women-only spaces, excluding trans women from those spaces. Yes. And I was, yeah, of course, something that's re-entered the, the conversation in more recent years. And I was wondering if uh, you found anything uh, regarding Kay's thoughts on that. Yeah, I didn't. And I had saw some of those quotes from Alex as well. Uh, Alex had a a lot of not great things to say about that angle, despite all of the good work that they were involved in. Um, (laughs) I was afraid in researching Kay that I was going to stumble across some heinous opinions, but I didn't find any. That's not to say that maybe she did have some opinions that just didn't surface. But anytime I tried to find anything, like I said, she seemed to be fighting the good fight, wanting more diversity and representation and i found her talking about how at one point there was debate within the women's music movement of whether like there could be one man in a women's music band or like if a ensemble (laughs) at a women's music festival could cover a song that was composed by a man and her opinion was that no if we're gonna be all women let's be all women because if you start to make concessions then it falls apart quickly after that yeah whether in her mind that included trans women or not, I do not know, but hopefully it did. Yeah, that never, I, I didn't find anything like that either. And I will say, it's just funny because all three of you play music, yes, and are in bands. And does anyone ever talk about that you're, do you all get together and talk about <laughs> the all man's band? <laughs> It's just like such a funny thing. And I know that it's important and like, but it's just like, oh, we always have to be making it known. We're in an all women's band. It's just a funny thing to me because otherwise, what would it be? Just a normal all man's band. It's just like, that's how hard we have to try to, (laughs) I don't know. You just have to talk about it. It's something you have to talk about because it's not the Should we start the trend of every time you see a band that's all dudes, just ask them if they're men's rights activists? (laughs) 
It's just so strange. I always found it you're strange. You're all dudes, so I just assumed, right? That must be, yeah. like, your thing. <laughs> because, like, do you get asked that? We would. We would get asked that. But it's just funny. So what's it like being in a band with just dudes, huh? What's that like? <laughs> like when women get asked, you know, like, who's at home with your children? You know, yeah. just like, come on. You're out having a job. But... Also, oh, I do want to say, speaking of things like that, that as a writer, too, she wrote for Miss Magazine and a lot of other really prominent (laughs) women's magazines in the 70s, 60s and 70s. And I thought that was really fascinating. I had no idea. She just did amazing work for just creating spaces for people to be able to express themselves that would not have existed had it not been for her. Mm -hmm. Including being the one who created and founded the acoustic stage at the legendary Michigan women's festival, which ran from 1976 to 2015. As I mentioned, she was always advocating for more classical and avant-garde representation at the festivals and wanted to have a section of the festival dedicated towards just acoustic oriented music like that. She also was a, a band director for at least one orchestra. I know she settled in Maine towards the end of her life and was the director of the Bangor, Maine Symphony Orchestra. Apparently, she also successfully sued that orchestra before taking <laughs> yes. the position because while they were searching for the position, they put out like a memo to all the band members asking them if they would... Uh, I forget the wording. Like, would, oh, you, if be they offend- would, would you be offended tolerate, or something? Tolerate. Would I yes. tolerate would you a woman? Tolerate a woman as the director. <laughs> a woman conductor. Yeah. Could you Ridiculous. handle Ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Ridiculous is the word. Yeah. Absolutely. So she sued and then she still ran the thing, as far as I could tell. But Yeah, she did. And, and she also started the New England uh, Women's Symphony and uh, also created the women with wings which was a singing circle in maine and that was something she was really involved in up until her passing in 2002 yeah she was only 62 when she passed yeah that's rough (laughs) created this mountain of work even though she's not a household name or anything but man the, the contributions that she put into just art in general in the time that she had here is truly astounding. I Yeah, yeah she did a lot in, in those 62 years. Mm-hmm. I have a question for Peter. Peter, would you tolerate Sean giving us some recommended albums? <laughs> I, I would. I don't want to get sued. <laughs> I'm the one who's going to get sued. Oh, you're, you're getting sued because you asked it. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah, feeling yeah. litigious tonight. <laughs> It's going down. Yeah, let's let's do that. All right, some recommended albums. Let's let's do that. Here we go. The first one is by an artist named Margie Adams. This is more in the folk side of the women's music movement. The album is called Songwriter from 1976, but it features some flute playing and I believe production by Kay Gardner, as well as previously discussed artist Chris Williamson and Linda Tillery. Do you guys remember that name? Was she on The Changer and The Changed? She might have been, but more specifically, she did vocals on the Coke Escovito record oh, that we recently oh, talked okay. about. And then she was also in the early psych band, The Loading Zone. Ah. 
Gotcha. And then later did some like more funk oriented records on, I think, Olivia or related labels. Yeah, that's right. Two more recommendations. Both of them previously featured albums. Lucia Huang, House of Sleeping Beauties from 1985. That was the first thing I thought of when I was listening to this album. Yeah. That I was like, this is kind of like that. In general, there are not enough uh, women-led records in the New Age world. And most of the ones that do exist are expensive. So the (laughs) few dollar bin women-led experimental ambient new age records gotta celebrate them i feel like the the first new age artist people think of is enya oh yeah yeah that's true i definitely do one of the big ones (laughs) (laughs) someone who looked at the music of Kay gardner was like wait a minute there's money to be made here (laughs) (laughs) let me try this i know how to make a buck off this (laughs) yeah oh man if only she repeated sail away, sail away, sail away many times over. Yeah. What if I recorded this in a castle? <laughs> it's going to be big. Why are we ripping on Enya over here? I love Enya. <laughs> I got I got no problems with Enya. Nothing but love for Enya. I, okay. I, <laughs> blasting the sail it's, away. I'm saying it's sold. It's sold, y'all. It's sold. All right. <laughs> it's sailed and it's sold. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my last recommendation, the one that I said I thought of first uh, when listening to Kay's music, Paul Winter and Winter Consort, Icarus from 1972. And I believe, nice. Bethany, you got a couple of recommendations for I the do. people as well. I do. I have Keyboard Fantasies by Beverly Glenn Copeland. Uh, a couple of the tracks that are my favorite there are Let Us Dance, Ever New, and Sunset Village. And I think that uh, Beverly Glenn Copeland, for me, is in that realm of healing artists. Music and the soundscapes that they create are just beautiful. And the lyricism, the poetry, is it speaks to my soul. So that is definitely something worth checking out. And Meredith Monk would be my second. Uh, Dolman Music. And I really love Fear and Loathing in Gotham, the Gotham Lullaby of 1981. And that's like really kind of more in the classical kind of experimental realms. And the final would be the vocal constructivist Jane Alden walking still. And Pauline Oliveros uh, does a song with them sound patterns, which is a really experimental vocal piece that I just adore. So those are my three. And I think I'm pretty sure you can find those on Discogs for under $10. And maybe, maybe a dollar, (laughs) maybe. Cheap. Yeah. Fits the criteria. Yes. Well, very cool, Bethany. Thanks for bringing those additional suggestions and and while you're at it do you have any additional information on where our listeners can check out things you have going on or anything like that anything you want to plug yes i do so i play in a band called the binary marketing show and we have an album coming out on the autumnal equinox which is september 22nd this year on Already Dead Tapes. And Sean is 
joining us on one of the songs. And it is also a very uh, experimental album focused on meditation and and really grief and dancing with shadows is the name of that album and we will be dropping it there on the 22nd of september and i dj hard bargain sean hartman appears on the record he does he does playing some guitar sounds it's really great i'm excited to share that and then i also uh make mixes the way that i do it is i curate time-based sound mixes guided by the mythos and movement of astronomical bodies and that is my resonant frequencies are very unique and strange just like what we've been listening to tonight so yeah that can be found on mixcloud under my resonant frequencies and that's about it. We do have an album that just came out on the Equinox for spring. And it's a selected song series that has a lot of different songs from various albums of ours. And that's available locally at Mississippi Records here in Portland, Oregon, where I live. And that is about everything. And I will just add that those mixes that you've been doing under the name My Resonant Frequencies are incredible. And one of the, I guess, catalysts for asking you on this show. Um, and w- one of the things I really liked about those was that there's a lot of New Age influence to it, but it's not just background music. Like they're kind of yeah. challenging mixes that go a yeah. lot of places. And sometimes it's comforting and sometimes it's not much like the music of Kay Gardner. This album. <laughs> yes. Well, fantastic. This was a really cool album. I need to get my own copy now. I fell in love with it immediately. This is very much my thing, which I, you know, I'm realizing I need to like start. I mean, I'm not saying that there's a plentiful amount of this kind of stuff out there, but you know, if you look for it, just finding these sort of hidden quote unquote new age records that are just uh, probably hiding somewhere in your record store, unknown, undiscovered. Yeah, they're out there. Not a ton of people collect this stuff, so you can still find it cheap sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. Speaking of which, I've got a plug for this episode. If you guys don't mind, can I oh. can I throw out a little plug real quick? All right. I, you've been here long enough. Why not? I've earned it. I've earned one plug. <laughs> you've earned one plug. <laughs> So I am starting a new radio show, and the first episode is tonight, literally the day this episode drops. If you are listening to this the first day it comes out, I will be doing a live stream DJ set on greatcircles.net. We've mentioned that a couple of times. Some of our previous guests also have shows on there out here in Philly, and I'm actually going to be doing all new age adjacent sounds the show is called deep zones and i'll be on from seven to nine every third tuesday on greatcircles.net check it out and then uh, the recordings will be up on the uh, great circles soundcloud for archive purposes after that right. wow jeremy he's gonna leave us for other greater pastures now this is, the, <laughs> this is we're on borrowed time here you don't think you can k gardner it and do like 23 things at the same time i'm literally trying out here he's been inspired he's like oh he's stepping it up i have one more plug as well i'm sorry do it 
I'm also working on producing my first audiobook, a book of women's stories called No Ordinary Words that was originally curated by Kelly Herrick. And it is to raise money for reforestation in the Amazon and to end human trafficking in Asia and Africa. So that will be coming out in March of 2024 to celebrate Women's History Month. Fantastic. Perfect. Well, hopefully we'll have you on again before that and you can do the, <laughs> yeah. I can plug it closer plug. to the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm Hold sure everyone has already <laughs> marked their calendars and is waiting, but just in case we'll remind yeah. them in a few months. <laughs> Thanks, Sean. Yeah. You see how Sean, you see how Sean does. He plans it so that the, his new thing drops the day this episode does. Yeah. <laughs> He's a marketing genius. That's me. <laughs> oh, learning some tips and tricks. All right. Well, do we have any final thoughts on Kay Gardner or anything connected to this record before we introduce our final selection to our listeners on I'd Buy That for a Dollar? I have a Kay Gardner quote that I want to go out on here real quick. And that is, Kay said, I have one major goal, to do work that will make a difference in the world. I love teaching, love turning folks on to their own potential. I love sharing information with people and knowing that many will make good use of it. Boom. That's Kay Gardner for you. wholesome as fuck. (laughs) It is wholesome as fuck, you know? (laughs) Inspiration. I agree as well. (laughs) It's something to aspire to. All right, what's that last track we're going out on? Oh, we're going out with Mermaids. Track three, side two. I I, I like going out with Mermaids. (laughs) (laughs) The Sirens of the Sea. Here we go. (laughs) Splish Splash. Side B, track three. Thanks for listening, everybody. I've been your host, Sean Hartman. I am the real host, Jeremy Ruggles. I am the innocent bystander, Peter Cook. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just an observer and friendly. I don't know where I'm going with this. Just happy to be here. (laughs) I am just, (laughs) I'm inspired to be here. And thank you, Sean, for sharing this album it has opened up many worlds to me and i'm bethany carter signing off with mermaids